0: Tree Talks acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters on which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to the elders past and present, and recognize their continuing connection to the land and waters, and thank them for protecting this coastline and its ecosystems since time immemorial. Listening to episode two of Tree Talks Podcast with me, Mona Brookhoff. I'm your host, and today we'll be having a chat with my friend Lauren. Hey Lauren, do you have a cup of tea with you?
1: I have some coconut
0: water. Are you comfortable? Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm comfy. I'm ready. Are you ready? Ready. Okay, great. So, Lauren. I'd like to know a little bit about you, where you grew up. Yes. Well, I grew up
1: in Brisbane, which is in southeast Queensland, in Australia, which is um, Yinibarra and Turrbal country. Um, I was was on the west side of Brisbane, which is a pretty leafy little place. The suburb was called The Gap. I grew up on a really quiet street, and it had bushland on one side of the street. And then I think my brother and I were the only kids in the whole street, so (laughs) it was... um, pretty quiet little childhood but my dad also grew up in the gap in the same suburb and he had a lot of great stories that he'd share with us about how he'd wake up early and sneak down in the dark down to the creek with his dog and so yeah those leafy creeks in the gap were a pretty special spot and I think just enjoyed walking around looking at things exploring from a young age and and, yeah, now I live not too far away. Uh, I've moved to Victoria and WA and things like that. But, yeah, now I'm back closer on the Sunshine Coast from Cubby Cubby in Yenneborra country, um, which is now where I work. Yeah, and the job I have now is um, I'm a ranger with Queensland Parks and Wildlife Service and my team manages the Glasshouse Mountains area around the Sunshine Coast, which is unbelievably 56 little pieces of park or pieces of estate which is a bit different to a lot of other ranges you have one big park but here it's a really urban area um lots of little patches so it's got its own differences and challenges and things
0: and what kind of um so just for anybody listening outside of Australia uh what kind of scenery I guess or um landscape what uh oh, yeah.
1: well Around well the main park that we look after is the Glasshouse Mountains Peaks. So I think a few people have heard of them in other states, maybe other countries. Um, but they're like volcanic plugs. So they're big. I think they're monoliths maybe. But um I should probably know that. <laughs> <laughs> people can maybe. Google it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> search that keyword, monolith. I'll i I'll search it too. <laughs> <I> can- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's got the mountains have um like eucalypt forests usually around the base and then on the peaks there's a uh, heathy like really tough vegetation on top um called montane heath um and there's not that much around because it's obviously it's pretty restricted to those mountain areas of which they're not all over the place but then we also manage parks with a little bit of rainforest or like um other kinds of wet eucalypt forest as well and
0: dry eucalypt forest So it's it's really diverse. I love it. Um that's really interesting. So lots of questions come into mind. Why do we have national parks? What is the purpose of a national park?
1: Well, can be for multiple reasons. Um, national parks can protect a natural value or a cultural value or a historical value, sometimes Two or three, all of them at once. Um, and they're set aside. Mostly it's it's public land and, and anyone can access this land as long as they're doing it right. <laughs> Sometimes there's rules on whether you can take your four-wheel drive or your trail bike or even some parks are like scientific zones so you can't access them at all. They're just set aside for science. Um, but basically the purpose is to protect and conserve those values, whether it be natural, cultural, historical for future generations and make sure we can um, preserve all this diversity that we have in Queensland and and make sure future generations can enjoy that, which of course also has the purpose of um, protecting the the animals and other things that rely on um, those ecosystems within those parks as well. So the idea is to protect all different kinds of ecosystems.
0: The more diversity, the better. Talking about cultural heritage and how uh, parks is to manage landscapes. Um, and as we as we know, some people don't know, um, First Nations people managed and looked after the land for over 60,000 years. But national parks is like a newish concept, right? Um, Australia has been around, uh, well, National parks might have been a thing back in the day, but it's that in terms um, of how
1: Australia has been managed for by these indigenous yeah. Yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I obviously white fellas manage the land very differently to how the indigenous people are managing the land. Um, but and historically, it's been something very badly done. How in involving indigenous people in learning from them and and um trying to manage the land in the way that it has been managed for thousands of years and this is how it's evolved to evolved to grow and, and regenerate and, and be used and things like like that but yeah we are slowly getting better in some areas it's better than others around the Sunshine Coast. Um one of our main one of the main traditional owners there, the cubby cubby people, haven't actually got native title determination yet. So that makes it really hard for them All right. to set up their own ranger groups or um their own working groups and things. But it's it's happening. It's getting there. And yeah, it's something that we don't do very well yet, but it's definitely something that everyone's pushing for, which is really
0: yeah.
1: good. What did you study at uni? Ah, I studied, I actually studied marine science, believe it or not, which, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah it led me to do some fun jobs snorkeling in, on the Great Barrier Reef and swimming with whale sharks in Exmouth in Western Australia. I'm not an academic, so it didn't take me down a very reliable path. A lot of that tourism education stuff is quite seasonal. Um mm. glad to be back working for Parks and Wildlife
0: because the parks aren't going anywhere. So if you went from marine, how did that, w- were you always connected with plants?
1: The obsession used to be about looking at different shells and fish and all kinds of things like that and, and naming those and figuring out as many as there were. But at uni studying marine science, we all studied very similar courses anyway so it was quite transferable to a more terrestrial situation like it did rainforest ecology and there was outback ecology and things like that so it wasn't strictly marine um so those things helped when i decided i wanted to get off the boats which is good because i actually get seasick so <laughs> i <It's not laughs> take seasick tablets anymore But uh, yeah now the plant thing i think started during covid um I lost my job and I moved back to Victoria that's where my partner's from and I didn't have a job and I just went out orchid hunting every day so these cute little terrestrial very cryptic orchids it was like obsession to try and find as many as possible all different types at different times of year and different locations and then it just grew from there to other uh, flowers and then other plants and then then when I got this job at the Sunshine Coast, it was like, all right, I'm in charge of mani- managing these parks with other people. I should know what all these plants are and what they do and everything. So just, yeah, I didn't really so much learn that stuff at uni. I just used an app called iNaturalist. Have you heard of that?
0: Yeah, actually, I did volunteer in the other week and they, they asked us to download it because there's this big thing of, and I think, is it worldwide? Yeah it's worldwide and it's like a citizen science program. We spent the first it was two hour volunteering we spent the first hour and IDing things and I was like where has this been all my life. So good and that's how I've learned basically all more
1: not all but vast majority of my plant knowledge has come from iNaturalist because you have like Experts and actual researchers on there telling you what these things are and giving you feedback and things, right?
0: What did you yes. use it for? What were you doing? First hour was i naturalist learning about species, and then last hour was planting. And just like that, like it, the understory is there. I was like, how amazing is this that I wanted understory, and then for an hour with other people, it's done. <laughs> done. That's so good.
1: <laughs> now you wait for everything else to come in and grow and add. And
0: yeah, just- yeah. Good for learning as well. That's another good way to expand your knowledge, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then what's the difference between the yeah, planting of uh or the vegetation in a national park compared to a park in in your community? Oh,
1: in like a council park, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a bit more manicured. There might there's probably a lot more lawn. Um, and things will be trimmed and pruned and um maybe even sprayed for pests. I don't know. But, yeah, in a a park, we generally try and let the park manage itself. Um, And then the main way that we manage the bush here in Australia, a lot of our ecosystems have adapted to deal with fire and they need fire to grow and reproduce and stay healthy. Um, So, yeah, we introduce fire. As rangers, we do plant burns, like controlled burns. Um, which is fantastic. It's, a, it's one of the biggest impacts we have. Um, and then we also
0: manage the wildfires that come through when they do. Why would the land need fire to yeah. manage it? Um,
1: sure. So a lot of our plants like eucalypts and banksias and grass trees, hakias, there's a lot of plants that can't actually release their seeds. Um, unless they've been exposed to that heat and the fire and the smoke, um, so a lot of those plants wouldn't persist without fire. Um, it helps to reduce the fuel loads as well. So, obviously, trees are dropping branches and bark and leaves, and that all builds up in the forest. Um, and we see in areas that like are long unburnt that this we call it fuel load because it's fuel for the next wildfire but all of this organic matter builds up and you often see like thickening of certain species, tree species um, growing in the parks and it makes it difficult for wildlife to be moving through. It's not open and grassy maybe like, um, for example, one of the dry eucalypt forests, they usually have a a grassy understory and then that way like wildlife can't be moving through, um, you know, certain little ground covers don't get the the lighter day so the ecosystem can totally change without fire so it will block out some species and others will take over It, it it has a huge effect i'm still learning as as well just how much there is to know about fire management in the australian landscape it's
0: crazy one thing i was thinking about when you said was the leaf litter branch trees drop branches and Then it made me think, that's so interesting, you know, um, you have so many visitors that come to national parks to look at nature, to be in nature and, you know, um, whatever reason, that's exercise or um, peace and quiet or catch up with friends or, you know, for whatever reason, but it's to go see nature.
1: People love that wild, raw, um, just natural organic look out in the park like there's something in us that uh, feels really relaxed when we're in that kind of environment but for some reason yeah we like our backyards and our streets to be nice and neat and if a branch falls and you have to take it to the tips you can't just something wrong
0: there. with it <laughs> yeah 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 remove the tree um, And yeah. yeah yeah like i was recently walking around in um, a, a park here a national park and was just like these trees they're like half broken off and limbs fallen and dead wood stuck in the tree yet that's fine like that's just doing it natural. obviously there's the danger with people and this is the whole thing but then with I think within my work was like well if we just think about how we develop the land around us a bit more so instead of having that giant tree with nothing else under it it's again, going back to what you said about the whole ecosystem is the, what is the vegetation underneath it and, and who else uses it? It's not just us using the land. It's, um, and you probably see every day, like what kind of wildlife there is and how, why are we only accommodating them in national parks and not, um, either noticing or allowing that wildlife to be sharing it in our space in, well, in our, in yeah yeah you're right they have little patches yeah i
1: definitely see that with all of our little patches of park it's all so disconnect disconnected without those wildlife corridors it's yeah they're, they're pretty tough for a lot of these species i think and then yeah it does make it interesting when you go out in the park don't you you always see something that you're not expecting and you think whoa i didn't know trees could grow that way or
0: like yeah like that. yeah 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 um And so then that's one of the questions I was thinking of to ask you is, you know, the podcast called Tree Talks, and that's because I want to talk about it. But do they talk? Like, do you hear anything? The first thing that came to mind when you said, do the trees talk to us? We
1: have a tree. It's a rare and threatened species, and it grows in the montane heath on the Glasshouse Mountains and a couple of other places, but mostly just grows on the Glasshouse Mountains. It's um, called Leptospermum lumanii. It's the Glasshouse Mountains tea tree. It's a beautiful tree. It has this kind of rainbow bark which strips off. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of like a stunted small tree usually because it's living in this harsh environment. And when you're on any of the Glasshouse Mountains peaks, if, you, if it's quiet and especially if it's rained recently, you can hear the bark of the trees just really lightly crackling and popping and you're kind of looking around thinking what
0: is that noise that's amazing but it's because ridiculous. we're so busy in our own life that for you to actually hear that like to to be there in the moment listening to that um it's like actual trees talking like that is a sound <laughs> that comes from them right like, I don't think we're quiet enough for most people. We just, you know, go to nature and you do eight. I want to go from the start to the end and tick, done, being in nature. But are we actually in nature? Are we paying attention to what's there? Do we acknowledge what season it is? What flowers are out? Um,
1: Yeah. Definitely encourage people to go for a walk by themselves. So often you'll be, I do it myself as well, when you're out walking on a bushwalk, you're with your friends and you're just talking and catching up and you don't, yeah, you're, you're right. We don't listen. And you don't, well, most people don't stop and look at little things and notice things, but yeah, it's pretty special.
0: Just the little things that bring you back down to, um, oh yeah. I've been nature. Even if it's yeah. like in somebody's backyard, for me, that was, it's it, your backyard is nature. There is stuff around that is connecting you. Um, Like with your volunteering and everything that uh, you're passionate about, is there anything you would like to share with people?
1: Um, Well, I guess I'd just say get out and see as many parks as you can and just try and go to all different kinds of places. And if you can get into like a bushcare group like Mona and I are in, that's that's so satisfying. It's like a deep satisfaction. It's only two hours a month usually or something like that. And you just get so much out of it um and you get to learn and it's more it's a social thing as well that's really great and then of course download iNaturalist because you can just learn so much it's not just about plants hey it's about you can put birds you can put footprints or feathers on there and someone will tell you what it's from it just opens your mind and i learned recently about something called nature blindness right So we just you can go for a walk and if you don't know anything about the plants or whatever you're looking at, the clouds, anything, then it's not that interesting. You can just walk along and be like, okay, got to the end, saw a view, came back. But the more you learn about your surroundings, the more you appreciate them, the more interesting your walks will be and just the more that kind of relaxation and satisfaction that you get from being in nature is just amplified the more that you know. It's amazing. Mind-blowing, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's what i'd say just learn as much as you can get out
0: there volunteer i think that's a beautiful message thank you so much for sharing and um allowing us to have this yarn and um get to know more about you and great message i love it
1: thanks mona it's um been an honor to feature on tree talks (laughs) (laughs) yes for having me